You guys can have a seat. Let's pray. Father, the cross is central to our faith and doctrine. Without it, we would have no reason to be here today. Without it, we would still be asking the same things as the prophets of old asked. When, Lord, are you coming to finally show us the answer to sin? When are you finally coming to rid us of this pain? When are you going to answer your promises and save us? And while we longed, while the prophets of old longed for those promises to be fulfilled, I don't think one of them ever understood that the cross would be the answer. And yet even as New Testament believers, we rejoice in the cross because it is our only hope in life and death because it is only through the cross that we can stand before you, not as your enemies, but as your children. Not in fear because of our sin, but with confidence knowing that our sin has been paid for, that your wrath has been satisfied, that we can approach you not as enemies, but as friends. Lord, I pray this evening as we consider this weighty, difficult, painful topic, that we would appropriately come to understand and see the beauty of it, and, but at the same time, we would appropriately understand the weight of it. Be with us now in your son's name. Amen. We call this day Good Friday. But for the disciples and the followers of Jesus, at no point during the day would they have called it good. We celebrate the phrase, it is finished. But for the Pharisees, they took that to mean that their job of getting rid of Jesus was finally finished. We know that there's light after darkness, but for Jerusalem, they weren't sure if the darkness was ever going to leave them. This day is an interesting one for New Testament believers because it's so easy for us to glance over all of the drama, to rush past all of the pain, and for us to quickly get to Easter morning. And Easter is coming, and we are going to celebrate that hard like we do every Sunday. But I think it's necessary for us as believers to at least once a year stop and consider the weight of this day. I pray that you've been following along with us during the Holy Week with the emails and the videos and the questions that we've been offering to you. It started last Sunday. Started with the triumphal entry, where Jesus was appropriately celebrated as he should, as the king coming into Jerusalem, where the crowd shouting, Hosanna, laying their cloaks and palm branches on the ground. And I'm sure his disciples thought, finally, Jesus is getting the glory that he deserves. 
We then saw on Monday morning when Jesus enters the temple and he cleanses the temple, preparing a way for all to come to him. We saw on Tuesday that Jesus' authority was questioned once again, kind of the final moment by the Pharisees. And that started a two-day diatribe of him unpacking what it actually means for him to be the creator of the world and for him to have the ultimate authority. We saw on Wednesday Jesus speak of of the kingdom of heaven the parables of the kingdom of heaven and how he has been preparing a feast for us to come. And he will not invite those who uh, deem that they are worthy for it. He goes out into the streets and the back roads to invite those people. Yesterday, Thursday, we got to see the first last supper. There's a second last supper. That's the one in heaven. We got to see Jesus probably more importantly, wash his disciples' feet in preparation for what we see today. The gospel narrative and the week's events, that would say the entire story of the Bible takes a very unexpected turn on Friday. No one thought that the disciples would be where they are at in Holy Week. No one thought that just five days after the triumphal entry, Jesus would be at Calvary. But before we complete that story, I want to return to another story, another moment that we've celebrated in our Christian calendar. That brings us to the Advent. There's a reason why the Advent wreath is up here. It just didn't appear. It's on purpose. And I want to remind you about the Advent. The Advent season is that season that we celebrate during Christmas that reminds us of the hopeful yet anxious waiting that God's people experienced as they longed for the Savior to come. And for four weeks leading up to Christmas morning, we got to celebrate the thought that out of darkness, we, saw, we, we can see the light of Christ coming. And the first week, the candle of hope, we got to see, don't fail me now, And celebrate that the prophets of old did not speak in vain. We could remember that all of these prophecies pointing to the fact that somebody one day is coming, that he in fact came. Then that led us to the second week candle of peace. A week that we could remind ourselves that the, unfold, the unfolding story of the redemption offers us peace to our broken and suffering world. That we have tried to satisfy the aching in our souls with so many things, and yet the only thing that could ultimately satisfy us had to be Jesus stepping down from heaven to enter into our pain to rescue us. Third, we got to see the candle of joy. The shepherd's candle, as we saw. This candle that in this moment when the shepherds are, are declared, fear not. I have good news of great joy. What Emmanuel is coming. Finally, all of the longing, all of the waiting, all of the wondering, when is it going to happen? Shepherds on a hillside got to be the first people to hear that the Messiah has come to earth. Fourth week candle of faith. 
the gift of Christ is for everyone. Because who were the first people to actually recognize the fact that Jesus was the Messiah and appropriately start pursuing him out of worship? Three wise men from the East who had no Jewish blood in them demonstrating that this Savior that is coming, this Emmanuel that is here is not just for the Jews, it is for everyone. And this candle of faith is, is this idea that Jew and Gentile, anyone who can come to him by faith, has hope. And this led us to Christmas morning when we celebrated that our Messiah, our Emmanuel, has come. Jesus' disciples never thought these, this light would ever go out. They thought that it was when Jesus came to earth, he was leading them to the throne. That at the start of his ministry, it was only going to get bigger and better. They thought that Jesus would pronounce victory over the Pharisees, over the Roman Empire, over the entire world. I mean, let's be real. Jesus spent his entire ministry, though, foreshadowing his death many, many times. I mean, he spoke about his, his cross daily, and yet when it came, everyone was caught off guard. Because today, during the Holy Week, we're not standing in a throne room watching Jesus rise to a throne. We're on a hill called Calvary watching Jesus being nailed to a cross and being raised to die. If you will, turn with me to Matthew 27. Along with recounting the events of the Holy Week, we've been pointing you towards various passages to read throughout the day. And, and today's passage is Matthew 27. And I, I want to read a section of that. This is the end. This is after all of the betrayal has happened, all of the trials has happened, all of the rejections has happened. It is Jesus and God alone at Calvary. This is verse 45 of chapter 27. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Laman Sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing this said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge filled with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. And yielded up his spirit. At the end, the resounding description, I think the best description, the only description that can be placed around the scene is darkness. The fact that it went dark at the end is not just some happenstance. It was not a lunar eclipse. That was impossible, as some said, because it was Passover. That means it was a full moon. The only explanation for why it would go dark from noon to 3 p.m., those are the hours that correspond here, is because God made it dark. I mean, I immediately think of uh, the uh, Israelites in Egypt. We're not going to go into that picture, though. But here, for three hours, people watched as Jesus suffered on the cross, wondering 
in darkness, what is happening. And this is not just some darkness where a cloud goes over the, uh, over the sun and it's a little shady. This is a darkness for everywhere they can see it is dark. And they're wondering, will it stay dark forever? I'm, I'm sure the soldiers and the authorities are thinking to themselves, did we make a mistake because this has never happened before? But finally, after three hours of suffering, if you will, in silence as individuals, because when it is dark, you feel alone. Everyone is feeling alone. Out of the silence, Jesus speaks. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, this, this description is pregnant with meaning, and we cannot even get, start to get at the depths of it, but it is a cry that as believers, as humans, we can feel. It's a cry that maybe you even have cried out to God. And when Jesus cries out to God, why, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Jews around him would know. He's quoting David. He's quoting a psalm. He's quoting Psalm 22. And it is a psalm where David cries out to the Lord in a desperate time. It is a voice of a man, David, who has tasted the bitter pains of his life. And he is calling out to God saying, God, where are you? What's the answer? But Psalm 22 is, is far more complex and nuanced than just a man desiring the pain of his life to leave him. This is not a man who just says, I have, I have an ache in my body that is going away. I'm, this is not just physical pain. Physical pain is one thing, but this, is, this cry for help is the knowledge that Christ is separated from God. That's why when David is crying out in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. That's David's cry. And when you understand the weight that Jesus has here on the cross, not just of the physical pain, but of the separation between him and God, you can feel this cry even more. Because Jesus is suffering under a weight that you and I cannot possibly comprehend. Because the greatest weight has nothing to do with the physical pain. I can't imagine that physical pain. But that is not the greatest weight. The greatest weight is not physical pain. It is the emotional, spiritual pain of separation and abandonment from the Father. You see, the other way to translate this verse is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? How in the world does the Father abandon the Son? They are one. How does the Trinity abandon itself? How in the world can the Son look at the Father and say, why have you left me? How can the unbroken communion between the Father and the Son be broken? This moment is mysterious to us. I I don't have an answer for that. Because we can't comprehend the Godhead. We can't comprehend that communion. We can't comprehend that separation, that forsaking, that abandonment. We can't comprehend what it was like for the Father's wrath to be poured out on His Son. 
whom he is equal in essence to. But here's what we can't understand or seek to comprehend. The emotions of the disciples standing and watching this scene unfold. As I said at the beginning, it's very easy for us as Christians to solely focus on the intellectual pursuit of our faith. But we are far more than just brains. We, we are creatures with emotions and creativity and, and there is a weight here, an emotional weight here that is taking place. For these disciples in their minds, their savior had taken centuries to arrive. He had taken three and a half years to establish his ministry. And on this day, as they're standing at Calvary, looking at their savior nailed to the cross, they're thinking they lost the battle. They're thinking all is lost. Some, some of them are wondering, those followers, did I make a mistake? My neighbor was right in saying that I was a fool by f- following him. My dad was correct by saying he'll disown me if I actually believe that. How am I going to go back and explain this to my friends and family when I go ask for my job back because this guy that I was traveling around the Galilean wilderness for the last three and a half years ends up being dead? There is a weight here that is hard for us to understand. And they thought... All is lost. You see, the darkness that was on this earth was not just physical. It was emotional. Because when Jesus was arrested, the most devout, passionate, faithful disciple cursed his name and said, I don't know you. All of a sudden, these lights start to go out. All of a sudden, that hope that we had isn't quite as bright. As his disciples see these, this dominant leader who healed the blind and made the lame walk and called people back from the dead, now standing before a tribunal of men and saying nothing, all their joy is lost. When the unthinkable happens. You know, there's a hope. When Peter is, in, is watching Jesus in the courtyard, there's a hope to say, I wonder how he's going to get out of this. When Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate, there's still a thought, no, they're not going to let Barabbas go. They're going to let Jesus go. But when they see Jesus being whipped and walking up to Calvary, it's at that moment where they go, wait a second. The, the sure thing that I thought Christ was, that peace that I had in him, it's gone. And for the disciples, when Christ cries out with a loud voice and yields up his spirit, I think the best description of that, all hope is gone. And when Christ yielded up his spirit, let's just continue reading for a moment. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, and the rocks were split, 
And the tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tomb after, after the resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And when the centurions and those who were with them kept watching over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly this was the Son of God. I'll invite Phoebe up again. We have one more song to sing. Was the Son of God. Past tense. Makes no sense. You don't kill the Son of God, but they thought they killed the Son of God. All hope is lost in their minds. They don't know Easter's coming. And for this moment, for today, let me just set us down into what that would be like for them. Because we know the story. Joseph of Arimathea goes and says, I want Jesus' body. I have a tomb. It was my tomb. It's a fresh tomb. No one has ever been laid in that tomb. And that's what Jesus deserves. And so his disciples took him off the cross and prepared him for burial. Imagine walking with Jesus' body to that tomb, the 11 disciples and the rest of the followers. Imagine what is going through your mind at that point. We see at the end of the day where it ends is Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there sitting opposite the tomb. These people had given their life to Christ. They had given their life to God. They were devout followers. So I can only imagine that while they were wondering, Lord, what is going on? Where, where, where has, what, what has happened? There's still some faith. And I can imagine as this procession of people is walking from Calvary to the tomb, somebody starts to sing. We were thinking about what song would they be singing? What would be their heart of their song at the moment? I would think it probably would be the doxology. God, I don't know what's going on, but you're still God. So just for a moment before we close, let's sing that together. So how do you describe this evening? How do you describe Mary and Martha sitting opposite the tomb? How do they go home and describe what life is like? 
because they think Jesus is dead forever. I think the appropriate word is darkness. As you go this evening, reflect on that. Reflect on the weight that his disciples were feeling. Reflect on the emotions that are surrounding this moment. Reflect on the fact that our Savior died for our sins. Let's pray, and you can be dismissed. Lord, give us new eyes to see the weight of our sin. Give us new eyes to understand the, the weight of your salvation. And Lord, give us a passion to proclaim your name because of your love for us. Lord, just prepare our hearts for Sunday. In your son's name, amen.